0: Hello, my friend, and welcome to TFU News and Views. I am your host, Anthony Brucalli, owner, operator, madman, behind tfu.info, the website, the Toy Archive. This podcast, Transformers University podcast, the YouTube channel, and oh so much more. I want to welcome you to this special Earthrise spoiler edition. Now, if you heard our last episode, I did my non-spoiler thoughts covered anything that was mentioned in the trailers for earthrise that have dropped on youtube Um, but it did not include any specific spoilers uh, partially due to the news embargo from my friends at netflix who uh, allowed me to watch the series a little bit early and uh, partially because i wanted you to go and watch it so i'm going to assume from here on out that you've gone and watched Transformers, Earthrise. Now, if you haven't, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to punch out. But I do recommend that you go back, episode 41, the episode right before this one, and give it a listen. And uh, there's there's no spoilers that aren't in the trailer, as I mentioned before. And it should uh, give you an idea of what you are in for. But unlike last time where I went, oh, about 10 minutes, kind of recapping my thoughts on Siege. We're not going to do that. We're going to get right into things. So here we go. We're going to start our spoilers right now in five, four, three, you better punch out, 2, 1. All right. It is spoiler time. And I'm going to give you my overall thoughts first on this series real quick. Uh, and also some of my thoughts on fan reaction uh, that I've seen so far in the uh, handful of days that this show has been out. My thoughts on the series are uh, that I enjoyed it. I was entertained by Earthrise much more than I was by Siege, and I've watched both three times. I thought there was a lot more in Earthrise to enjoy than to dislike. I think the voice acting overall brings this show way down. It could be so much more enjoyable and so much more entertaining if the cast was better. And that's not to say all of the cast is bad. Uh, but there are some people in key roles, as I've mentioned prior, uh, that really drag this down, and um, the voice direction seems to be lacking uh, significantly. Uh, where certain lines don't read properly, certain lines uh, exist in in a kind of a vacuum where there there isn't kind of like a focus on the interplay between the people speaking and. For me, that, that's a lot. That's that's a lot to drag this down. There's a lot of story elements. There's a lot of writing in this series. I think one of the issues I have with the writing, though I think overall it's pretty pretty solid and pretty crisp, it feels like at times there are things thrown in that don't get paid off, that don't relate uh, beyond trying to give you shadowy hints of, of things to come or of people's mindsets. And... To me, it feels like there might have been a lot more written for this season you know, maybe I don't and I don't know what the process for the show is like, but it, it seems to me that there may be like, I don't know, like they went in and wrote 12 episodes or they went in and wrote eight episodes and then they trimmed down to make it six really exciting episodes in, you know, from their standpoint. And I think at times there are some elements where you're like, oh, that's that's just the reason for for something happening, and I'll get into it. But you know, it feels like it could have been a whole episode, or it could have been part of a whole episode, uh, instead of just a throwaway line. Now, speaking of episodes, um, this season is very episodic. Uh, in fact, I've entitled all my notes uh, by what the episode is. So, if you've watched the episode, if you've watched the seasons, I should say, uh, this one versus siege feels so much more episodic uh episode one is the catch-up episode as i like to call it episode two is the uh Quintesson and uh, uh mercenary episode and and so on so like each one really does have a strong feel as for what is in that episode and that is, is a big plus for this show uh compared to siege So let's talk about episode one, the catch-up episode. And I don't mean like the stuff you put on French fries. I mean, we catch up with the gang on Cybertron. And I'm not going to kind of do an overall summary of every episode like I would on Transformers University. Uh, But I will get into kind of, I'll give you a quick kind of outline of what the episode was about. And then talk a few things about what I liked and didn't like. So this episode is basically revealing what happened on Cybertron after the end of Siege, uh, we catch up with Alita One and her small team of Autobots and how they're still working against Megatron. And Megatron is uh, created this thing to uh, basically siphon Decepticon energy and Sparks and their lives. So he's basically po- to power uh, Project Nemesis. And so uh, in my notes here, one, the, the Project Nemesis spark powering thing it's kind of neat to me as a longtime Transformers fan, because and and especially for this series, it feels like something that was kind of inspired by Beast Machines, and it's weird to start a conversation about a TV show and start talking about Beast Machines, but if there was any one show that I've seen a parallel to uh, with the Netflix series, it is Beast Machines, because I've heard in other reviews, and I've listened to some of my friends talk about the series and i think one of the the things that comes from people who dislike the series is that the voices and i don't mean the voice actors i mean like the characterizations of certain characters feel off like you could have put a whole new character in there and probably gotten uh, a better result out of it just because there's no baggage to that character so for example um Bumblebee is is very well acted. I like I like how the actor for Bumblebee portrays him. But for me Bumblebee has never been this dour um jaded character. He has always been hopeful and always been uh, the optimistic uh, almost childlike center of Generation 1. And yeah, he's turned into a bit of a warrior when they took his voice away in in the movie series and stuff like that, but if you're trying to do a G1 feel and you're trying to do a generation one feel, nailing bumblebee uh, to being the the hopes of the Autobots uh, in his in his mannerism is in the way he is um, and almost to a point of, of naivety uh, is is kind of where he should sit and he is kind of slowly becoming this kind of hopeful leader character throughout this uh, season which is a nice touch, but okay, flip that on its head. What if the character was somebody we just didn't even know, just a new character, new name, doesn't, isn't Bumblebee, doesn't carry all that weight to that character. Is he more or less interesting? And I think the answer is he's more interesting. And that's kind of how I felt about Beast Machines. Like you had this great series in Beast Wars and to follow it up a year later, was going to be hard for any production team. And any writing staff. And on top of it. You had their spin. On those characters. Which didn't always fit. Rat Trap didn't always fit who he was. Optimus Primal didn't always fit who he was. The three seasons before. And so. For me. Those kinds of things. Are where you're like. You know Beast Machines a lot better. If you just imagine all the characters. As a new team of Maximals and that's kind of the test I always put like a transformer series through and this is one I've put on Siege that some of these characters like for example Jetfire doesn't seem to sit right with me either um, but he's really well written and he's really enjoyable and I just almost wish they had just taken the body type and given him different colors and called him something else anyway I've digressed here a little bit um, but the Beast Machines uh, influence seems to be here with with um, Megatron using d- souls to power something, and this is the one it's it's to power Project Nemesis. And I've made a note in my notes, and I call uh, TF for dummies Transformers for dummies. Uh, that's what a lot of this series feels like. It's it's cherry picking Transformers lore for a mainstream audience. So the audience that would watch something like uh, the Netflix series has probably seen Transformers the movie a whole bunch of times. It's probably been a while since they've seen G1. And when they remember G1, they're remembering things like, you know, uh, The Ultimate Doom or Heavy Metal War or The Return of Optimus Prime. They're not remembering, I don't know, Bot or uh, Enter the Nightbird or, you know, uh, some of the Child's Play. Uh, A lot of the Season 2 stuff. Or or Season 3, right? No one's one's checking in with the gang from Carnage and C-Minor. So I call this TF for Dummies because it's, it's it's certainly pulled a lot of things from a lot of different facets of the Transformers fandom and Transformers history uh, in, in the mythology there. So it, it is fun to see what he, they've pulled, that the writing staff has pulled to use for this. Now, one character we, we meet early on in this uh episode and meet throughout the season is someone who had a toy in the Siege line in Walmart that you can now no longer find, and that is Scrapface. Uh, so it's great that he's not just a toy character, and and I'm glad I picked one up. I wanted to pick up three to make the camera out of him, but uh, Scrapface just on his own as a single one character is pretty awesome. So glad he's in the show. I'm glad they have a big slash across his face to kind of um, complement his name. Uh, We also see Megatron in this episode talking to Ultra Magnus's head that he keeps on his desk. I think this is a hint that he is going crazy or could be insane that we kind of pay off with the Galvatron stuff later on, but I don't feel like this thread is ever fully paid off. You know, Megatron keeping a trophy of Ultra Magnus's head is pretty dark. Uh, It reminded me very much of like uh, the governor in The Walking Dead and to have that there and have him talking to Ultra Magnus for part of uh what an episode I think maybe a little bit in the second episode um and then never doing anything with it or having anyone address it um is one of the things where I go you know I think they wrote more and then cut a lot out and then cut everything out all the time but this is one of the problems that plagues this series um so, the, you know, the writing, I always say the writing is solid. I don't know if the writing is focused, though. Uh, sometimes things seem to be all over the place, and this is an example of that. Now, also in this episode, we have a neat uh, cameo by Steeljaw and uh, his ultimate death as well. And speaking of deaths, uh, we get Hotlink killed for the first time this season in this episode. And um, I found that, like... Hotlink, the the toy character which is this purple seeker to kind of take the place of skywarp who died in the first season Hotlink is kind of the waspinator of this series uh he or she because uh it's gotten both pronouns uh gets killed a lot we also get another new character in this episode and one that i absolutely uh fascinated with and that is shamble the Decepticon running uh, was at Sector 12. Uh, he is just basically a, a reskin of the Refractor model with a uh, bum leg. Uh, the name Shambles is, is brilliant. It's, it's how he walks. Right? He's, he's got a bad leg. He lives in this dump with a bunch of injured, injured Decepticons. So he is in shambles. Um, very, very well done by the writing team there. Great voice by uh, Frank Todaro, who who also voices Starscream. One of the really big highlights of this series is uh, Frank's acting in here. Um, I like that Chamble has a limp. I just like every. I really hope we get a toy of this guy. Uh, uh, Just an excuse to reuse that refractor uh, tooling again. And then that gives us at least two from this series. And then maybe we get a third somewhere in Kingdom. And then we can make a new camera out of those three. Now, speaking of characters falling into uh, roles, as I mentioned earlier, the flip side of this is that there are a few characters in this season that are fairly unknown and fairly um, underused or unused. So, for example, Chromia, who, outside of the IDW comics and the Windblade stories, um, was never really used much, right? She never really used much in G1 and her one appearance and... I like the idea that she is the Autobot sniper. And uh, it's done to a really good effect uh, throughout this season. And in this uh, episode, you know, the Autobots are sent into a prison uh, via Steeljaw's intel, which is, of course, a trap. There's lots of uh, Seekers and Impactor body models reused and in different colors. And uh, in the raid on the prison, Jetfire kills Hotlink a second time for the season. And in this episode, I'm keeping track. There's a line also in here uh, where the where I think it's Alita 1 says, stay alert to the other Autobots. And Red Alert says, I'm always alert. Uh, <laughs> I found that particularly funny. It's kind of a bad joke, but it's also fairly amusing to me. Um, I don't think this is on purpose, but Red Alert's name in Japan, in the Japanese series, is just alert. Uh, so t- technically that's still true. He is always alert. Elsewhere in the store, we find out that Meg uh, chooses to use Sector 12 for Project Nemesis, uh, thus showing the lengths he's going to go through to pro- power Project Nemesis. And the thing is, and this, I forgot to kind of pay this off myself, right? Uh, Project Nemesis, outside of like longtime Transformers fans, right? This is meant to be a surprise, I would assume. I knew what Project Nemesis was the minute they mentioned it, right? Um, if you're listening to this podcast, most likely you did too, right? That it was going to be the ship to follow the Ark. So when this is revealed later on as a surprise, it's not really a surprise. But I try to look at it through a lens of someone who maybe didn't watch Beast Wars because that's where that's from, right? Um, Project Nemesis then becomes this kind of thing that you don't know what Megatron is doing. So... I would like to know if, and let me know in the comments, let me know, uh, on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Let me know if that surprised you, if that was one of those things that you're like, you know what? I didn't know that was coming. Uh, but the Autobots, they, they didn't see this trap coming. They get captured. Um, and, uh, the episode ends with double dealers crew boarding the Ark. And I really like that Optimus Prime is not featured in this episode beyond the last, you know 30 seconds and he's just knocked out like he doesn't speak he doesn't have any role in this episode and i think that is a great great move by the writing staff to kind of just phase him out and show really and this is one of the things i think is very important about this season in this series um it's show that transformers can work without the main cast without the optimus prime without the bumblebee this whole episode pretty much exists without those two right I mean, it exists with the, your standard batch of Decepticons, but showing that this can work, and it, and they showed it in in G one a couple of times where there were episodes without Decepticons, right? Um, and there were episodes ba- with barely any Optimus in it. The show and the series and the mythos work on their own, and I really do hope that's a takeaway that Hasbro and their marketing team, and then ultimately whoever works on the next series after Kingdom, uh, realizes. All right, on to episode number two. I refer to this as the Mercenary and Quintesson episode. Uh, And, you know, meeting the mercenaries in this season, uh, first off, Exhaust and Bug Bite. For me, as a longtime Transformers fan, this is one of the coolest things about this series. One, Exhaust based off of the Diaclone Wheeljack Toy, the Marlbor uh figure, which is pretty much the prize of my Transformers collection. Um, they're very rare uh, and they're very hard to come by. But uh, it's one of the neatest, like, weird things that that exists in Transformers, right? It is a toy that turns into a car that essentially looks like a pack of cigarettes, which you would in no way be able to do uh, in any point in the last, I don't know, thirty years. And then Bug Bite being the first Gobot. To appear in a Transformers cartoon. Quick story behind that. If you don't already know the, the back story there. Um, Bugbite was part of the GoBots line. Turned to a yellow Volks- Volkswagen. Hasbro eventually bought Tonka. So part of the intellectual rights kind of exists. As part of Hasbro's thing. Uh, and when eHobby. A Japanese company was doing a lot of these reissues. Of G1 toys in the early 2000s they did a mini bot set of, of Bumblebee and a handful of others, uh, as a reissue and then took that set and did, uh, colors that were, uh, micro change, uh, influenced for some, and then d- did the rest in kind of go bots influence colors and made all the characters in, uh, various pieces of their fiction, uh, go bots characters, including a white Bumblebee toy that was now a Decepticon named bug bite. And, uh, Eventually, the Transformers um, convention, BotCon, would run with this and include that in the story and even do a Bug Bite toy uh, as a convention exclusive one year. And now it has made its way into an actual show. So that is pretty cool that we have a former Gobot as part of a Transformers series. Now, as cool as that is, we're also going to talk about how ridiculous... The mercenary faction is uh, the fact that they wear a mercenary symbol to say that they uh, don't belong to a faction makes them part of a faction. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, why do you need the symbol then? Um, you know, I was looking in my uh, Facebook memories the other day uh, about a joke I made uh, that I, I I saw a book on atheism and it was 165 pages and i was wondering how it wasn't just you know a title page and 164 blank pages uh and that's not to knock atheism but just like okay you don't believe in anything then that's you need 165 pages to say that it's the same thing with this mercenaries uh faction like okay you don't belong to a faction why do you have a symbol then so that concept uh just it, it rubs me the wrong way. Now we do head back to Cybertron for a little bit of the story. We we uh, have these really cool conversations between Megatron and Elita One. Um, we kind of get a little more proof that Megatron is going crazy. Uh, and Alita One's character is really really fun in this series. She is basically the moral compass uh, of the Autobots on Cybertron. And her development as a character as a leader is pretty cool. Uh, It's only brought down a bit by the voice acting, which has a lot of exhausted mom energy to it, uh, as one of my friends uh, online mentioned to me. Uh, Yeah, that's pretty much the way I can characterize that voice acting. It's exhausted mom. Elita is exhausted mom all the time. Now, we find out here that Double Dealer's ship is uh, named The Fortune. It took me three watches to realize that's what they were talking about because Double Dealer sends them away. Uh, he sends the cone heads away, basically, and says, with the fortune, uh, you guys leave with the fortune, which I just thought was the money they were being paid, uh, not the name of the ship. And again, this goes to voice acting and voice directing. There's got to be a way to perform that line so that it's clear we know what they're talking about. Because the words, the fortune, aren't written on the side of the ship, right? That's one of those things that that seems to happen a couple of times throughout this series there's also a good mention of uh char and um again kind of fan servicey in a a way and then we have bug bite uh disliking bumblebee uh calling him the ugly one uh twice i think in this episode and then later the quintessential call him it as well that really works for me uh bumble the, the fact that they're the exact same body type but just slightly different colors um that, that really does play well for the comedy in the series. Of course, when Double Dealer lands the arc, we see the Quintesson ship. Again, Transformers for dummies. But I guess, you know, this is one of those things where it's like, if you've seen the 86 film, you know what that thing is. Uh, I like that we get a named Quintesson in this episode. Uh, Decius is a good-sounding name, and I really like that he wants to come to consensus, that his five heads can't agree at all, and uh, they need to find a way to decide. Um, A lot of how the Quintessons are portrayed remind me of the final season of Cyberverse, or at least the third season of Cyberverse, at this point uh, where we met the Quintessons. Uh, It's all really well done, and it's all really, um, really entertaining to watch the Quintesson argue with himself. Now, something someone pointed out to me is that when the quintessons arrive, and I haven't gone back and rewatched it, t- the scene to to uh, uh, to understand what what was going on uh, with the animation. But I guess when the quintesson heads, uh, kind of all introduce themselves in a way, right? They turn um, the quintesson himself isn't turning, uh, but the background is, uh, and of which yeah, I guess it's one of those things once you see it, you can't unsee it and I haven't gone back to watch it, but yeah, I guess that would irk me too, right? You want the Quintesson talking to Optimus. You don't want the Quintesson just kind of talking in odd directions. So I need to, I need to see that one more time, but uh, if you noticed it, again, great for you. And if I just ruined that scene for you, then I apologize. Now back on Cybertron, there's a mention of Crystal City uh, and Omega Supreme. So that's, that's a nice touch. And then back with the Quintesson. I'm just going through my notes chronologically here. Uh, We find out what consensus is for Decius. And that is nuts. (laughs) It may be one of my favorite parts of this series in this season is um, Decius reaching consensus and cutting off four of his five faces. I'm not really into the body horror that was in season one of the series in siege uh I, I still think that moon racer being torn apart by zombies um was gratuitous and ridiculous all at once uh, totally unnecessary this i don't know if it was necessary but it worked it worked in creating this atmosphere that uh DCS is a little crazy and and I liked it. I liked, I like really like that for some reason. Now back on Cybertron, Megatron and Leader still talk. He calls her Ariel, and that bothers me a lot. And I'll tell you why. It is not established in this show. For you to know what Ariel meant, you had to have seen Wardon in the original series and carried that knowledge into watching this episode. It takes something that is established elsewhere. And expects you to know it. And that doesn't make sense to me. This is its own thing, right? So then you need to establish this. As a writer, as a television producer, you need to establish things that are there. I think one of the things that bothers me in this series is that there are a lot of things talked about, especially in the past, and they don't they don't get explained. And again, like if you don't know. Wardon or you don't know that Alita was built out of a robot named Ariel that whole him calling her Ariel doesn't make sense it's it's neat for Megatron's character because it's kind of a jerk thing to do uh, but it's one of those things it just it doesn't sit right with me if they didn't establish it somewhere either prior to this episode or within this episode now the Autobots, they're about to be executing. We get Scrapface paid off because he comes here to save the Autobots because they helped him earlier. And uh, eventually the Autobots escape with a little bit of help from Skytread. Back on the Quintesson planet, the Autobots and the Mercenaries fight off the Quintessons and flee. And we get to one of the worst scenes that really does expose a lot of the flaws in this series. As the Autobots try to escape, Optimus yells, Autobots, transform and roll out. And only Optimus, Sideswipe, and Hound are shown in vehicle mode. Everyone else is either running or riding Optimus. The budgetary constraints on this show are what ruin this show. Uh, and I'm not saying it's a bad show because it's it's... It's got its, it's got its good points. If you've heard me say for the last, I don't know, half hour, right? The budgetary constraints on the voice acting and the voice directing is a problem. The budgetary constraints on the animation, especially in the notion of not allowing Transformers to transform, which is at the core of what makes this show different from any other science fiction or superhero show, That's bad. That's something that really does need to be addressed either in the next season or in a future series. You have to allow for the gimmick, for the play pattern, for the toys, and for the reason that makes this whole series what it is, it's in the name. You have to allow them to be able to transform. You have to find a way to show everyone transforming. Uh, That was always one of the coolest things about any of the old (laughs) series is that there was always like this dramatic like transformation sequence, cutaway, 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 cutaway. Optimus transforms, Jazz transforms, you know, a bunch of Autobots transform. I mean, the, the ending credits to the original series is entirely characters transforming and that is a much more entertaining than this scene of characters running. And again, to parallel it to Beast Machines, the knock on Beast Machines in the first season was they don't transform. There was a flash of light and they'd show up in their alternate mode. And they didn't know how to transform in the first season. They had to refigure it out. So they spent most of the first season running. And it was always like, oh, here's another episode. Maximals are running. Uh, the reason... People like Beast Machines, and I'm one who does like that series, is it gets better in season two. But to take away the the transforming element is ridiculous. And that's a knock not on the writing staff and not on the producers of the show. That's a knock on Hasbro for not funding this show in a way that allows them to sell the thing that they're trying to sell. And this episode, we'll get back onto it. My diatribe's done. This episode... Ends with the uh, nemesis being revealed. Again, Transformers for dummies, right? Uh, here is our, our basic reveal of this big piece of Transformers lore. And uh, again, that goes back to Beast Wars where it was named. And that is where uh, we meet the nemesis. Episode 3, I refer to this as the Scorponok episode, right? Uh, we find out at the beginning, Bumblebee chooses a side. That is really well done. He finally has his his badge, and that's really cool. We find out there is something in the Nebulon system. Uh, Again, uh, Nebulos being part of the uh, Headmasters lore from 1987, uh, both in the U.S., I guess in Japan. Uh, You know, I don't really know. (laughs) That's one of those things I'm learning right now uh, on Transformers University. And we find a space bridge, which is also in space. Uh, which is a nice callback to a couple of things. G1 Season 3, there's a couple of Quintessant portals, which um, eventually got used as space bridges, uh, like the the design, the idea, the concept, not necessarily the name, uh, but eventually would be called space bridges in shows like Transformers Animated and Transformers Prime. We get Ironhide mentioning Prima, one of the uh, 13 Primes, which is a pretty neat reference. And, uh, in this episode, uh, Jetfire will kill Hotlink for the third time. And this is where he refers to Hotlink as she. Now, something I mentioned in the non-spoiler episode is that a lot of this, what works in this is transformers as star Trek. And, uh, I find that funny because in this episode we do get a line where Optimus says, uh, make it so wheeljack. Uh, so very, very captain Picard of him. The Nebulon station has a very horror movie vibe. Another thing that works very well for transformers, uh, We've seen this done before in Dweller in the Depths, in uh, a number of animated Transformers animated and Transformer Prime episodes, um, so I like that. We also uh, find that Wheeljack has invented this backpack full of bombs, uh, which totally needs to be in the next accessory pack. Uh, we meet a white with red cog, who is essentially the Star Trek version of a red shirt, or the I should say the Transformers version of a Star Trek red shirt. Uh, he's in Jetfire Colors. He is referred to as security officer in the credits. Um, and yes, he will die in this episode. <laughs> now, Optimus and Bumblebee, they head to the other side of the space bridge where Nebulon Station is jammed in the middle of. And uh, there's a planet on the other side, and it's clearly not Earth. Um, I was trying to figure out what it could be, and I have like a short list here. Like Maybe it's Eucharist because, you know, we're going to end up in Kingdom uh, next season and maybe they're following a bit of the IDW continuity for Beast Wars and some of the things they've established there. could be Nebulos, but probably not, as revealed later in this episode. Um, It just seems like it's just Nebulon Station, not the planet Nebulos uh, as part of the context here. And so part of me really thinks it might be Antilla. And the reason I think it's Antilla is we get mentions of Unicron, and we end up in the Dead Universe in in an episode coming up. And Antilla plays strongly into IDW and the mythos behind Unicron. I won't spoil any of that for you because I'm not terribly well-versed in it. I've read it all once. I've read the Wikipedia entry, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. But do look into Antilla for you old G1 folks. That's the planet from Cosmic Rust. uh, And they've found ways to work that into the IDW comics, the old 1.0 version. 1.0 1.0 Phase 2 of IDW. Eventually, Scorponok will enter. It's really a nice reveal of a very large toy. Uh, Mirage uses his hologram power uh, to show off Omega Supreme as well. Another nice touch. I like that Mirage has holograms and not Hound, because that feels like how that was supposed to be back in the 80s, and somewhere got screwed up along the way. Optimus Prime uses his Axe, which is totally the Battlemaster mold uh, in Axe form, so it doesn't transform And there's still more running. Nobody transforming. Uh, As I mentioned before, that is a problem. The nemesis arrives and we get some gratuitous uh, G1-inspired lines such as prepare a boarding party and Megatron saying he will kill Optimus Prime with my bare hands. I like that they're referencing lines from G1 or from Transformers the movie, but not the obvious ones. Uh, not the one shall stand, one shall fall, or light our darkest hour. Like they're, they're roundabout referencing some of those. But they're not saying them verbatim. There's other lines they're totally using verbatim. Now that takes us to episode four. Uh, my second favorite episode of the season. And uh, this one can be Scorponok part two. This one can be Optimus versus Megatron. It's essentially a bottle episode. Um, Megatron shows up. We get some terrible voice acting from Jake Fauci as Optimus Prime. Uh, It's clear the actors are not together when they record this, uh, and it's very apparent in this episode. Not that that's commonplace anymore, but it certainly does help performances. And, you know, I get it. In in COVID world, this is probably not going to happen, but Jake Fauci's acting uh, is really, really laid bare here. And if you look at his IMDB entry, I know some some folks I've had conversations with uh, have defended um, that he's not allowed to do something outside of an Optimus impression. He doesn't have many acting roles that aren't Optimus Prime. i much rather they hire an actor who can act and not impersonate Peter Cullen than have someone who is impersonating Peter Cullen and is not that good of an actor. And, and that has been my issue with him since he joined on Transformers Cyberverse. And that is my issue now. Uh, there are plenty of good actors out there. Get a good actor that doesn't sound like Peter Cullen. I don't care. And that, that goes to the voice problem again on the show. Uh, and we're probably going to keep circling back to this, is that there are times where they choose to make the characters sound like G1 characters. Prime, Starscream, Wheeljack, Soundwave. And there are times where they don't and it doesn't work. Like, why would you go, you know, Wheeljack needs to sound like G1 Wheeljack, but Ironhide doesn't. And then Ironhide has generic guy voice number 15. That's one of those situations. Either you got to go all in and make everyone sound similar to how they used to 35 years ago. Or you got to go in with just a clean slate and let the actors put their take on the characters. And in particular here, Scorponok, voice acting. His voice acting is fairly unintelligible. I had three times through. I didn't understand him the first two times, and the only reason I understood him the third time is I had headphones on uh, to listen to him. We also find out that Scorponok might be some sort of a species, uh, not his name, because he keeps saying he is the last of the Scorponok. Finally, Prime causes an explosion that uh, separates both teams, and we get Prime versus uh, Megatron, and this is where the bottle episode starts. Um, there's a scene here where mirage is using his power uh after the anti-gravity shut off and there's really no explanation as to why he's using his power that's one of those things where i'm like they probably wrote a little more and it got cut and it doesn't make sense anymore we find megatron grievously injured by some rebar we find out that starscream is being starscream starscream one of the highlights of the show and being fairly accurate to who he is and very well performed Prime and Megatron, they have a scene where they talk. Prime totally straddles Megatron. And I swear they were about to kiss. There's some good dialogue in this scene, and again, it's ruined by bad voice acting, bad voice directing, bad voice acting with Optimus. Uh, uh, I like Megatron's voice actor uh, Jason Marnocha, uh, I believe, right? Am I, hopefully, I'm saying that right. I like his voice acting. I don't like the direction they gave him on a lot of this. Um, they could have punched up certain words and certain phrases differently, and give him different pacing. There's a line in this conversation, by the way, that bothers me about the writing for this series, uh, and I'm going to give you self and I'm going to give you a chance to listen to it right now. You should have killed me back there. You could have learned the location of the Allspark from any Autobot or even Teletran One. Instead, you let me live. Why? Because you need me. Without me and my idealistic crusade, you would never have amassed the power you now wield. I gave you exactly what you needed, a villain for your Decepticons to rally against. But you still need me, perhaps now more than ever. Now, the reason that line bothers me Optimus Prime should never, and your main character, your main hero, should never refer to themselves as a villain. I understand he's trying to give it from Megatron's perspective, but that is one word change. You could have changed the word to symbol, target. Anything that would have conveyed that Megatron was putting the focus on him to his people to hate him. Villain means that Optimus believes that he is partially wrong. And I don't necessarily need to have Optimus be righteous, but I need to have him believe in what he's doing for me to appreciate him as a character and as a leader. There's a lot scene here after Optimus brings, Optimus Megatron come to terms, and uh, Optimus rescues Megatron, pulls the rebar out of his shoulder, drags him out to the Scorpionock fight, and then this is the big reveal of them coming out together, right? And we get this split screen. very anime, right? Bumblebee saying Optimus and Wheeljack saying Megatron. And the third split screen of Arcee going, huh? That's another one that's just why. Why, 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 why? Megatron uh, tells Starscream, I still function, uh, which is a, a neat way to quote Transformers the movie without doing one of the lines that's been quoted a million times we get a little bit of Megatron versus Starscream fighting and you know what we get one of the better lines of comedy from the series right here Decepticons our formerly fearsome leader has chosen to side with this Autobot pestilence against us stay with me and I will lead our kind to victory and prosperity should we get in the middle of this? I don't know what this is. Finally, Scorpion returns and Bumblebee finds out that the head of Scorpinoch is his weakness. It's a nice touch for a headmaster. Optimus orders uh Wheeljack to repair Megatron, and they realize that Wheeljack's voice is pretty much Dr. Girlfriend from venture Brothers. And then we find out the words Quintesson on Judge are gonna set off Scorpionok to uh give us a little backstory. We find out he had a family and they're all dead. But it's hard to tell who's talking in the scene. Uh, Scorponok's talking, but he has a garbled voice. And Megatron's talking, but he's facing away from the camera. And you can't tell really where one voice ends and the next voice begins. And you have no lip flap to kind of guide you along. Uh, That's bad on the production team. That's bad on uh, the blocking and figuring out which camera angles to use. I think it's Megatron talking, but I wasn't entirely sure. Again, three watches through, I'm still not 100% sure. So the Autobots they use the distraction of Scorponok and uh, some artificial gravity to escape. Starscream slips away to the Nemesis and orders the uh, ship to blow up the station with Megatron inside. The explosion sends the Autobots to someplace, and that's where this episode ends. I really liked this episode. Like watching it the first time through, I was really impressed. I was like, "This is the best episode of the series." Until I got to the next episode, episode five, which is by far my favorite episode of the series. And this is the Galvatron and Skylink's episode. Uh, it starts with Alpha Tron banishing Skylink's to some place. We find out it's the Dead Universe, uh, where statues of the thirteen Primes are floating about. We find out Megatron survived and is on the Nemesis. He banishes Starscream once again off his bridge and takes the Nemesis into the Rift. Uh, this is where we find some things in the Dead Universe and kind of get a parallel story of uh, Prime being guided by Skylink's and Megatron being guided by. Galvatron who has appeared from an alternate timeline to try to change this timeline and uh, he's very Emperor Palpatine but this is a a fantastic callback to the Target 2006 story from Marvel UK of Galvatron being this time-hopping character who is trying to get away from Unicron and can't. We finally get some flashbacks that are long overdue like Optimus and Alita One looking out over what Cybertron could be if there wasn't a war. They talked about it incessantly in the first season in Siege and never showed it. And I'm so glad that we got a whole two seconds of it here. That's all they needed to do last season, and they should have, and they didn't. And of course, we have Skylink showing Optimus uh, various alternate realities Uh, I thought that was a really good choice of not just of which character to use because he has a toy out. And really, that's what that's what they're doing here, selling toys. Um, But, you know, Skylink showing Optimus uh, and alternate universe Optimus uh, dying uh, from, you know, the visual reference to Transformers, the movie. Uh, uh, it's It's a good touch because even though he wasn't in that scene in Transformers, the movie, he was in the scene. Uh, where they resurrect optimus in the return of optimus prime uh also he shows them a glimpse of nemesis prime another toy they need to sell and another nice uh touch way to get that that notion in there on the flip side when galvatron is talking uh to megatron and they were having flashbacks and alternate universe things here he does say uh uh, you will kill Optimus Prime and take the Matrix for yourself. Another line ripped right out of Transformers the movie. Uh, the mention of the pit, which is like the gladiator pit, uh, uh, and and where Megatron kind of rose out of is an interesting use of the phrase because the pit originated in Beast Wars as kind of, <clears throat> as kind of a place where the Predacons were born. Uh, it was kind of meant to be kind of like a hell that they were forged out of and so hearing the term the pit in this context is a a nice twist of the phrase we also see a very silvery chrome megatron fighting a same chrome impactor uh another nice idea for some sort of weird toy set would be those uh galvatron mentions that he's a slave to his timeline i love that touch i love that uh it's kind of a, a, a sideways callback to target 2006 and that that this Galvatron might be that Galvatron. Also, uh, Galvatron's entrance uh, was spot on. Uh, he also, uh, Galvatine, Emperor Galvatine, as I've uh, come to call him, does does tell Megatron to focus his hatred and his rage. And as you know, hmm, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. <laughs> and that hate is... Uh, visually represented in red which is a nice callback to the hate plague also from the return of optimus prime and you know one thing i was wondering here is that they're inside kind of a black hole and megatron is drawing this power that he will eventually fire out of his fusion cannon and you know it's one of those powers that's only been barely touched upon in transformers fiction is that megatron's fusion cannon is supposed to be able to access power from a black hole um and it's been done a little bit in the marvel uk comics uh, in in the 80s, and it was mentioned on his tech spec, but it wasn't really, really explored. And I'm wondering if this is the source of that power and if it is well done by the writing team to kind of flesh out that little bit of Transformers mythology. And in, in this uh, ensuing uh, blast from Megatron, Skylink sacrifices himself to save the Autobots. Uh, Unicron calls back, galvatron and unicron gets his one line in the entire series and on his way out galvatron gives megatron uh what looks like and uh the golden disc from uh beast wars and uh by far my favorite moment of the series uh, and this was by far my favorite episode of the series i love that they delved into uh, the dead universe as an aspect in a cartoon again something right out of the idw comics Uh, I love that the the Golden Disk is going to be a thing heading into Kingdom and a way to tie that into Beast Wars and that they're going more with a a cartoon focused uh, background for the Beast Wars characters as opposed to the Eucharist IDW background or the Leech Maximo background for the Beast Wars characters. Uh, This is such a better way to do it and and such a more fitting way to do it. And and this episode has me psyched for Kingdom. Finally, on to the final episode, episode six, one I've dubbed uh, the ending, uh, because it's the only one that, that kind of doesn't really have uh, a single plot as much as it, it is wrapping up everything that we've had happen so far. It's also kind of a, a, a roundabout way to retell the origin of the Transformers getting to Earth, uh, you know, more than meets the eye part one from generation one, the original first episode. Uh There's a a couple of weird callbacks here also to the Michael Bay films, uh, either visually or in some of the lines. For example, uh, Optimus Prime asking Megatron for forgiveness, um, at least to me, harken back to something from uh, the Last Night trailer where he does ask Bumblebee for forgiveness. Um, I I don't know if this is truly in character. Again, I am not one that likes an Optimus that is full of self-doubt. I prefer my Optimus to be kind of um more of a father figure and more of a, a, a leader and not one who is afraid even early on like this. I like the idea of Optimus generally being decisive and and this one uh, isn't. Uh and and that's my problem with John Barber's uh Optimus Prime from the IDW books as well. Um I'd rather he be decisive and resentful um or remorseful of his actions uh as opposed to being indecisive and afraid to take action and uh this falls into the latter unfortunately uh double dealer arrives uh which is a neat uh you know way to bring him back into the series and we hear via starscream that uh there was a deal in place from double dealer and megatron Uh, again it's so benign by the actors Uh, to not punch this up as part of uh, being a major plot point. Um, And it it kind of uh, wrecks the reveal. And that's not necessarily on the actor, but again, on the voice director, knowing what the script needs and what the actors need to uh, punch up and, and accentuate in the script because they're acting kind of in a void. Back on Cybertron, Alita One, with her exhausted mom energy, finds out that Double Dealer has Optimus Prime And uh, a fight ensues with Shockwave, who now has uh, an invisibility power. It's also revealed that Shockwave is using Project Nemesis to power himself up. Uh, The Decepticons um, capture or uh, appear to kill a whole bunch of Autobots. Uh, And this is led uh, by Spinister, who we find out is alive. As Megatron fights Optimus, Megatron begs for mercy, another callback to Transformers the movie. And then we get this great reveal that Decius is controlling Double Dealer, and that Double Dealer is actually dead, and Decius uh, has taken him as more or less a new face. Elsewhere on the ship, though, uh, Bugbite and exhaust are making repairs and Cog gets his moment in this this series. He he takes out Bug Bite and he takes out Exhaust and then he takes out Decius before Decius kills him and leaves the ship. Um it's kind of like a really cool sacrificial cowboy moment. Uh, and I love that they used Cobb for this. I mean, he's okay. He's kind of a disposable character, but they gave him some, something to latch onto and something for fans to really like. Same thing they did with, uh, chromia here as the assassin, uh, or as the sniper, I should say, uh, she gets shot in the chest, but she survives and she helps take out a whole bunch of Decepticons, even shoots sky Tread in the head, even though he was like, Hey, I helped, uh, And, uh, as this is all going on, there's an explosion at the Decepticon base, uh, from charges that Alita one had planted. And that is kind of the cliffhanger ending for what's happening on Cybertron this season. And also we do see Chromia transform and roll away. And again, that's for me, that is one where as far as budgetary choices go, I like that they use Chromia as, as this sniper, but the body model doesn't apply to many characters. It applied to her and Moonracer mainly. And you had to be able to transform her, and you did. And then you can't use that anywhere else down the line. That's just that's poor planning. Back on the arc, Megatron has taken the Matrix from Optimus Prime and he calls him Orion. Again, that is one of those things that just bugs me. Um yes, I know he was Orion Pax before the Matrix, but the audience if this is their first time through does not. And that whole situation makes zero sense you know, without that context. And so that, that's, that's just bad. Um, it's just not good storytelling. Um, you have to be able to include your entire audience in the story, uh, not just the ones who already know the source material. Uh, it doesn't mean you need to retell Optimus's entire origin uh, in whatever form that is, but you have to establish that somewhere before pulling this stuff. In this whole process of Megatron goading, Bumblebee saves the day, and I really liked that moment. It's a great moment for Bumblebee as he's becoming this leader. Um, you know, despite my dislike of using Bumblebee in this role, um, this story arc is really good for for the character. Uh, even though I don't feel like it applies properly to Bumblebee uh, historically. The neat thing here, though, is he he takes the shot, which kind of ha- harkens back to the previous season where Megatron gave the advice to Jetfire, when you have the shot, take it. And Bumblebee had the shot on Megatron and took it and drove him off. Ultimately, the fortune explodes and uh, the nemesis and... The ARC are caught in the explosion. They're both in various states of being disabled. One of the things that's disabled the ARC, by the way, is uh, that Teltran 1 has absorbed a whole bunch of information coming out of the black hole, and they can't really use uh, the systems. This is one of those things I was talking about earlier where it feels like they wrote something here, and that should be all or part of an episode uh, addressing Teltran 1's malfunctions, addressing all the data it's ab- absorbed, and and finding out the story that is that is there and how that affects the bigger picture, because they don't address that here, it feels like a throwaway. It feels like it was a line just to create a, a reason for them to be stalled, and that feels empty to me. Um, there 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 are simpler ways to create the notion that that the ship is stalled, um, and those are perfect that's a perfectly fine way to do things uh but if you're going to go through the trouble of 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 creating this reason then you've got to pay that off and they didn't do that here again so the ships crashed to earth the visual is very similar to the autobots coming to earth in the michael bay film of 2007 uh which is Again, a nice, nice visual touch, um, a nice callback for people who are a little less familiar with the franchise, but may have seen the Bay films, and and in addition to whatever you know they have seen from from G one. Uh, and finally, we get a little bit of a teaser for Kingdom, and this this was fantastic. I was super excited. Uh, you know, hopped out of my chair watching it at like one in the morning by myself in the living room. Um, one, they used Dinobot the character. Uh, if you're not familiar with Beast Wars, there is a a very important character in the series named Dinobot uh, uh, as the one who sees what's going on and his eye flips back and you see the arc uh, in reflection. And Dinobot's kind of the one who solves a lot of the mystery that is represented in Beast Wars and I really hope they continue that in Kingdom. Now, that pretty much wraps up this series. I think overall... As I've said before, I think the series is very enjoyable. I've watched it three times now. It is much more enjoyable and much more tolerable if you use Netflix's um, speed up feature and watch it at one and a half speed or one and a quarter speed. Uh, it does help the slow vo- vocal delivery. It um, doesn't you know erase all of the problems uh, that are in the show, but it does help make it a little more tolerable to watch in terms of the voices. I think the biggest, biggest thing that has failed the show, and it's not on the writers or the production staff, uh, it's on the budget, Uh, the voice acting and the voice um, directing being one of those things. The second thing being the lack of transforming, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit more. So my daughter, who's two, there's a show she watches uh, called ABC Galaxy, and they sing this song about how. Uh, they cover all of the letters from A to Z. And I have this little headcanon gag in my head that uh, um, that they change the lyrics to the song and it's all of the letters from A to C uh, because of budget cuts. <laughs> so they can only cover uh, three letters. And, and it's just one of those things I amuse myself with. But that is what this feels like when it comes to the transformation aspect of the show. Um, they didn't have the budget to do everyone and it really shows and it's really created a flaw for something that needs to really revolve around that concept and so when it comes to Kingdom which is the next series uh, and it's heavy Beast Wars focus I, I don't envy uh, F.J. DeSanto and his team uh, heading into this spot because that is a beloved beloved Transformers series and having to do a new take on that and do it well is going to be heavily criticized no matter what you do. So I hope they do a good job. I really hope they stay true to the characterizations and the characters um, and not just plug characters in to fit certain roles. And look, that's how the TV business has been going for the last I don't know, 10 years. Uh, Take a show like Game of Thrones or a show like The Walking Dead. Those two shows, they're telling stories people already know and really appreciate. But what they do is they swap characters in and out of situations and roles that they had previously been in to maintain surprises. So a character you thought was going to die one way doesn't, and someone else does. Or, you know, um, a character that served a role you don't have the budget to hire. Uh, as many actors so now one character will serve two different roles that were distinct in the book Uh, these are kind of just you know general examples and I I think with animation you, you don't have to run into a lot of that but with the lack of budget for the transformations you will so I really do hope as far as story goes they they create a story for kingdom that doesn't make me feel like it's just a bunch of new characters in old skins and that they they truly honor what a great show Beast Wars was. I mean, I, look, I'm gonna say it right here, it's my favorite Transformers series. Um, and most of you have probably already know that if you've listened to my show. So yeah, I've got a personal stake in it, much more so than than these two previous uh, portions of the trilogy. Uh, that said, I hope you've enjoyed this spoiler filled look at earthrise i hope you find this informative and uh even-handed at the very least because i've heard a lot of reviews that are pretty harsh and i've heard a lot of reviews that are glowing and i don't necessarily agree with either uh so uh i would say this uh go watch the show on netflix it is uh it is worth the the two and a half hours it takes to watch it or so um And and form your own opinion. And then check back with me here on on YouTube or on my Twitter at TFU underscore info on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TFU info or Instagram.com slash TFU info. And tell me what you thought of the show. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. Uh, uh, I would love to hear more from you. And don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. And uh, if you're listening on the podcast feed also, please subscribe, leave a review. Uh, Let me know what you think of this Show and this series, and of course, please check out Transformers University, where I cover all of Transformers history starting in 1984. We're currently working our way through 1987, uh, slowly approaching our episode 100 special. Uh, more on that in a few weeks. Once again, thanks for listening, thanks for watching. I am your host, Anthony brucali owner, operator, madman behind TFU.info. Until next time. Hey, want to help out this podcast or the website tfu.info? There's a number of ways you can do it. Let me tell you how. You can help us directly by joining our Patreon and enrolling as a student at Transformers University. There, you'll get early access to the podcast as well as exclusive behind-the-scenes peaks and perks for as little as $1 a month. Sign up it's quick and easy. Just swing on by to www.patreon.com slash tfu info. Another way you can help us is by using our Amazon link, www.tfu.info slash Amazon. Type that into your browser whenever you want to shop at Amazon and a portion of what you spend will be contributed back to us. It's that easy. Finally, you don't become the world's longest-running transforming toy archive without some help from other fans. We're always on the hunt for photos of figures and accessories we're missing from our pages. If you'd like to contribute, go to tfu.info slash help for a list of what we need or send an email to info at tfu.info, tfu.info, the Alpha Trion and Omega Prime of Transforming Toys. Now, back to the show.